They pointed out that the events had started with her literally being kidnapped and people witnessing her being kidnapped. And yeah. there were people who said she got kidnapped at gunpoint. Yeah. And they were like, did y'all just forget about this? Welcome back to the Bug and Rug Podcast. As always, my name is Caitlin, and today I am here with Whitney. <laughs> you can't say as always anymore because I know I was gonna say as usual I'm Whitney, and then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I did that the last time and I was like, I haven't been here in months. <laughs> she hasn't been on the podcast in 50 years. Oh wait, anyway, and today we're bringing you another story that may or may not keep you up at night. Hopefully by the end of it, you will all still be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug. But only time will tell. Time only and nothing but time. Nothing time but is the time. only thing that will tell. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yes. So and everybody is- get your wa- Synchronize your watches <laughs> right now. <laughs> to what? Only time will tell. I'm going to be honest. I say that a lot. Not 100% sure I know what it means. <laughs> Well, day, uh, we're recording this in a time where daylight savings is approaching. Really? Yeah, I think it's like next weekend. Oh, who knew? Check well, your fire to alarms. Be, to be honest, I don't. <laughs> check your fire alarms, people. You're supposed to check them, make sure they work. Change your batteries and your fire alarms when you when you make time go forward. And just a word of advice, if you do that, they beep really loud. So mm-hmm, like maybe mm-hmm, wear mm-hmm. hearing protection, yeah. but make sure you can still hear it. You absolutely, know I mean? absolutely. Anywho. Anywho, anywho, we're into March. This we're in public service. This is March 2nd, and it is National Women's History Month. I'm not actually sure if that's correct. Like the way to say it, Women's History Month. I don't know why you're asking me. Happy Happy Women's Month. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Women's History Month. I looked this up and I made a list of different ways topics. To Women's History Month. Yeah. Yeah, we're in it. We're in it. We're the second day. We're deep in it. And so that's why I had Winnie come on. Wait, I, I, wait, wait. We're not deep in it. We're not deep in it. We're, we've just started. We're shallow in it. We're shallow in it. Plenty of time. Plenty of time to celebrate it. I have a story that I think is sort of interesting um we'll talk a little bit about a woman actually a lot the whole story is about a woman but <laughs> <laughs> part two is in the shallow end about a woman and then veer off into actually else. we're gonna dip our toes into a little bit of something else and then we get to the main woman in our story okay okay let's get started i hope we can swim wait oh. can i stand up is it shallow enough i can yeah stand? yeah well well, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> somebody drowns. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> nothing about water. <laughs> nothing about water. So on March, well, then 5th, we got to redo this whole intro. <laughs> why? Oh, oh, you're right. Well, I didn't say the more time, your time, your time. Whatever. <laughs> I can't even remember what it is. How dare you? <laughs> it's our time, more time. <laughs> I was never in charge of the water episodes. I'm so sorry. On March fifth. 1973. Your birthday. My birthday. I was not born in you 73. Were minus <laughs> bajillion years. Minus several years old. 
<laughs> right, exactly. March 5th, 1973, Donald DeFreeze escaped from Soldad State Prison by simply walking away while on duty in a boiler room located outside the perimeter fence. Hey. Yeah. Good plan. Good plan. Bold strategy. <laughs> Honestly, foolproof. He, this guy was out for months. <laughs> <laughs> he just was like, you know what? I think I'm done here. I think I'm good. I think I'm gonna go. Hey guys, I'm gonna go. <laughs> and they were like, we gotta take care of this boiler. And he's like, you can do that on. You can do that on your. I think own. you got it on your own. Right. You've got it covered. So after he walked away, he contacted members of Ben Sir, Ben Ceramos. Um, Sounds like a gang. It wasn't a gang. It was an American far-left political group active in Palo Alto, California. Sorry. And it was a very... Um, it wasn't a cult. It was like a small militia kind of group, if that makes sense. So, a gang with guns. Wait. Wait. A, <laughs> a cult with guns? Kind of. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. So, a gang. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he had met some of these people while um, staying in, in, in a different prison previously in mm. California. Mm-hmm. And so, he contacted a few people and was like, hey, I'm on the run. Can you help me out? And they were like, yeah. Your boy's totally on the can. walk. He walked He's away on the, the walk. Border. He walked. If you run, you cause a scene. If you walk away like you're supposed to walk away. You look like you were supposed to walk away. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so he's on the walk. He's and on he the contacts walk. the militia. And he contacts this militia. Willie Wolf and Russell Little were the people who basically picked him up. And they took him to this, I don't want to say safe house, but it was like a house that they had. I'm going to interrupt you one more time. Sure. Willie Wolf. That's not true. I'll interrupt you some more. Willie Wolf and no, then Russell Little. Okay, so Russell wasn't on board with the, uh, is it called alliterations? Well, I guess, I guess it'd be his parents, right? Willie Wolf and, Ru- no, you think Willie Wolf, <laughs> Willie Wolf's his God-given name? His parent-given, that's not true, God-parent-given name? Jack and I have been Christian watching, name? Jack and I have been watching the Netflix series about Formula One, and there is a team principal on there, and his name is Toto, Toto, like, the dog, no, Toto Wolf, but some of their accents, in like, at first, I thought his literal name was Total, like, T-O-T-A-L, Wolf. And I was like, that's the best name I've ever had. And Jack was like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. So, anyway. Willie Wolf and Russell Little took this guy in. And then they kind of got concerned because they were harboring a fugitive at this point. Uh, a prison escapee. And they basically were like, well, we don't want to get caught because we have this, like, you know... P- militia group-esque type deal. They'll shut us down. They'll shut us down. They'll find us. FBI is after us. So they arranged for him to move in with their associate, Patricia Soltisic. The pair then became lovers, Soltisic and DeFreeze. Oh, I thought you meant William. No, 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 no. Not no. Toto. That's why, that's why I did Russell. the names. <laughs> they became lovers and also started to outline the plans for founding what it, what they called the Symbionese Nation. Okay, so... Symbionis? Symbi... Hmm. We'll talk about it. So, DeFreeze. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how I remembered his name. He walked away from prison. Yeah. Um, We're in the first paragraph and you're already recapping. Well, that's because I've interrupted you a lot. So, (laughs) DeFreeze walks away from prison. Yeah. He ends up going to the militia who pair him with Patricia. They fall madly in love and they start a Symbionese, if you please. Nation. Exactly. So, in their manifesto, Symbionese Liberation Army, Declaration of a Revolutionary War and the Symbionese Program, that's the full title of their manifesto, by the way, DeFreeze and Sultisic 
wrote, quote, the name Symbionese is taken from the word symbiosis. That's why it might be Symbionese. Mm -hmm. Not sure. And we define its meaning as a body of dissimilar bodies and organisms living in deep and loving harmony and partnership in the best interest of all within the body. Now it's a cult. They wanted the unity of all left-wing struggles feminists, anti-racist, anti-capitalist, etc. Anything that's very, very far left. They're like, if we all come together and form a group of all races, genders, and ages in a united front, we could fight for, we could fight for our right to, to part. <laughs> they could fight for what they wanted and then eventually live peacefully in the world that they created. So they basically were a part of this militia group mm-hmm. and then kind of made their own group. Still militia? No, it's a cult, for sure. It's kind of a cult. Um, they claimed it to be a vanguard movement, which was basically, like, if you look up a vanguard movement, it's basically like, where are the poor people going against the bourgeoisie? Okay. That's what they called themselves. Okay. Um, the United Federation Forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army was, at best, described as a small American far-left militant organization, and at worst, the first domestic terrorist organization to (laughs) rise from the American left. (laughs) (laughs) From the left. Okay, I was going to say, because I guess you could technically call, I don't know if technically is right, the Confederacy was kind of a terrorist group. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Or, I, well, somehow. I guess if we weren't made yet, so I guess this would be a terrorist group against the no, United States. No, Confederacy would have been part of the United States against the United States. Civil war. Yeah. I guess they're thinking, like, that's a civil war. This is a small group of terrorists against the... It's not greater. like we've divided the country. It's this. It's, they have. It, it was Just literally a like. Chunk listen, chunk. hold on. It was like fifteen people. <laughs> we didn't preface anything with that. It's like fifteen people. 15 so people. no. So I don't want okay. you to think war, civil war, because it wasn't like that. It was like a couple people with a with a dream. A battle. It's the civil battle. Yes. A few people they, with a dream. They kind of like said that they were like. Mm. Not, not that they used guerrilla warfare, they wouldn't say that, but that's kind of what it was described as. Eventually, we'll get. Their small numbers caused destruction between 1973 and 1975, so they were only really a thing in these two years, including murdering at least two individuals, violently injuring others, committing armed bank robberies, attempting bombings, and kidnapping. And this helped their cause. Listen, it didn't. <laughs> So they were just like, we're going to say we're going to do love, good things. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Murder. I, I, I almost... So the murders don't make any sense. And we'll kind of... I, I talk about that a little bit later. The armed bank robberies, I almost wonder if it was like, we're stealing from the rich and we're going to give to the poor. And we're poor. Right. <laughs> so anyway. I guess Robin Hood type of mindset. Yeah. In a way. So we're going to talk about basically the... How... how the beginning of the end, mm. for the most part. And that basically started after they kidnapped Patty Hearst at gunpoint on February 4th, 1974. So Patricia Campbell Hearst was born on February 20th, 1954 in San Francisco, California. She was the third of five daughters of 
five dollars. <laughs> she, she, she was she the third. Kidnapped. She was the third of five daughters of Randolph Anderson Hearst and Catherine Wood Campbell. The family was known for their wealth and political influence since before World War One. This was a very influential, very famous family. Mm-hmm. Patricia's grandfather, William Randolph Hearst, created the largest newspaper, magazine, newsreel, and movie business in the world. Like, he was rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. And her great... Her great-grandmother was a philanthropist, feminist, and suffragist, Phoebe Hurst. And I included some links about them. Phoebe Hurst was known, she was very pro-education. She did mm-hmm. a lot with schools, a lot with kids in schools. Mm-hmm. Like, was very, like, we need to educate our young children. We need to educate girls, women, mm-hmm. things like that. Sure. So she uh, donated a lot, did a lot of good causes, like, in the education system. So this girl, Patricia Hurst, was somewhat of a socialite, you would say. Yes, yes. They describe all the daughters as kind of like heiresses. Heiresses. Although, like, I mean, we don't really, I don't know. I I never really think of famous people in the United States as heiresses, but yes. Like Paris Hilton. Exactly. That's the first person that came to my mind. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yes. So they were well known. I wouldn't say they were, like super famous mm-hmm. and like I mean the movie business I guess because their grandfather was in it but more on like the business side sure. of it did you watch Paris Hilton's 10 minute TikTok uh no I didn't I skipped it twice <laughs> <laughs> I watched it now I'm getting emails about Hilton rewards <laughs> I don't know if I want or not I Paris Hilton I did not get on t- if a TikTok is e- even a minute I usually don't watch it <laughs> and that's ADHD <laughs> anyway anyway so at the time of her kidnapping Hurst was a 19 year old 19 year old sophomore studying art history at the University of California Berkeley and she shared an apartment near the school with her then fiance Stephen Weed the couple was at home when members of the SLA or the Symbionese Liberation Army thank you finally yes we're getting the yes yes <laughs> the SLA broke into the apartment and took Patricia Hurst after beating up weed and a neighbor who tried to interfere you know what simple misunderstanding they thought there was weed in the apartment <laughs> no and they so, were confused right 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 so they had a bunch of guns some neighbors kind of came out to see what was happening they witnessed this is important for later they witnessed Hearst basically being blindfolded and put in a trunk and like as neighbors came out because like they were like oh my god what is happening Mm -hmm. neighbors were trying to help her the SLA was like shooting guns at them so Mm -hmm. everybody kind of like hid and then the car got away they got away so they drove away and they were like oh shit she's gone not enough neighbors. Police are called. Not she lived in an apartment complex. Not enough neighbors are home. <laughs> Not enough neighbors. You know what? If you see something, say something or do something. In this case, well, they did. They did call police, but everybody was kind of running because they they had like, it wasn't like a gun that's like pew pew. It was like <laughs> kind of gun. You know what? Gotcha. <laughs> and they weren't storm. Well, they were stormtroopers. They didn't hit anybody apparently. Right. Other than Mr. Weed, but they they used fists. They used fists. <laughs> So, which is kind of surprising. I don't know why they just killed him. Anyway, the SLA did target Hearst due to her proximity to their headquarters, quote unquote. So they're like head base of their militia group or whatever, political group, whatever you want to call it. Militia group. They're bad people. Um, Vanguard. Vanguard, whatever. Um, it was it was in California, like very close. But they also wished to leverage the Hearst's family's political influence to free two SLA members who had been arrested 
for the November 1973 assassination of Marcus Foster, superintendent of Oakland Public Schools. A little bit about that. He basically wanted people to have ID cards to like get into school, like give students like ID cards. And they're basically like, this is a fascist movement and they killed him. What? What? Yeah. How is that fascist? Does it make sense? I don't know. I mean, listen, I don't know a lot. I think it's kind of like, oh, they want to give you ID numbers, baby. They want to microchip our children. Keep better track of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thing that came to mind. (laughs) You microchip your pet, but not your kid. I don't know. I don't know. Just kidding. That's not, I don't feel that way. But wait, so listen, leveraging for two people. I mean, they only have 15 total. So if they're down to 13, they need to know. I know, they're busy now. So... Hey. I don't know if you need to. You good? Okay. So Hearst gets kidnapped. The SLA sends a statement to the media. Basically says, this woman right here is our prisoner of war for the foreseeable future. <laughs> She's a prisoner of war and everybody's like, what war? There's a war? <laughs> what war? So they're basically like, they kidnapped her. They wanted their two members to be free. The state said... Yeah, we're not going to do that. They basically murdered somebody in cold blood, and then they injured other people when they were, like, shooting. I don't know where they shot those people, but they shot other people as well. Sure. So after the state refused, the SOA sent a tape to KPFA radio of Hearst demanding that her family distribute $70 worth of food to every needy Californian. Californianian? Mm, um, yep, Californian, Indian, Indian, actually. <laughs> You're absolutely right. In response, Hearst's father took out a loan and arranged the immediate donation of $2 million worth of food to the poor of the Bay Area for one year in a project called People in Need. And I think that he may have added some money to that, but that was like the initial thing because they're mm-hmm. like, we literally don't know how to do that. <laughs> so we're going to set up this foundation instead. People in Need, P-I-N. They're going to put a pin in it. Yes. Now, question. Do you think that they released Hearst after this? Absolutely not. No, they didn't. Obviously, they didn't release her. <laughs> they like, we had a deal. Obviously, they didn't release her. So her family was pretty pretty upset, and they basically were like, we'll add more money if you give her back. And the SOA was like, well, we're not going to do that. And the FBI was like, well, we don't know where she is, so we can't, we can't help you. Well, why? So, so what's the new goal? Still release some of the people. Yeah, release the people. They are trying to be like, hey, put more money into charity, feed feed the homeless people. And they're like, yeah, give us our daughter back. And they're like, we can't do that. And the Hearst family was like, well, we're not like made of money. We kind of are, but we're not really. <laughs> okay. Okay. So nobody really hears from Hearst until April 3rd. 1974. How long has this been? Oh, she was kidnapped in February. So a couple months, like two months. Yikes. Okay. Well, I don't know how long the give food to the homeless. Okay. Give more. No. Took. I gotcha. So she's been in, she's been with them for two months. I don't know the last time they had contact with her specifically. So on April 3rd, 1974, an audio tape again is sent to the media and it is of Hearst announcing that she has officially joined the Symbionese Liber- Liberation Army. Two things. Yes. How do you know she's not already dead? If it's an audio recording, who knows when that's been taped? Well. And secondly, she could have had a gun to her head when she said that? Well. No proof. Listen, that comes into play later, but she did 
some crimes with them. <laughs> but she could have been forced to. Listen, that kind of, hold on. Keep it all in. We'll talk about that at the What's very end. What's it called? Stockholm Syndrome? Uh, listen, we'll talk about <laughs> it at the end. Just don't point at her. <laughs> it's pointing at you. We were rooting for you. We were rooting for you. <laughs> so, 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 yes, that's what everybody's basically thinking. Like, oh, my gosh, she's been with him for two months. Like, what's happening? Well, on April 15th, 1974, Hearst was requested. So this is, like, a week after she basically came out and was like, I've joined the SLA. Okay. She was recorded on surveillance video attempting to rob the Sunset District branch of Hibernia Bank at 1450 Norija Street in San Francisco, California, with an M1 carbine, which is a type of gun. <laughs> Big gun? I don't know. Again. <laughs> she, I, I bet it's not a pistol. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. She is heard on tape yelling, I'm Tanya. They use different names when they joined, so, but this is her yelling, I'm Tanya, up, up, up against the wall, mother <laughs> before other members of the SLA Russian side. During the robbery, two individuals were shot before the group fled the scene, but it, they were not shot by Patricia. Tanya. Tanya. Miss chosen name. Miss Hurst, if you will. <laughs> we don't know if she's still going by that. I don't actually know. I don't know. You're right. On May 16th, 1974, so like a month later, she was seen again, this time at Mel's Sporting Goods in Inglewood, California. So there was a couple named Emily and William Harris, and they were caught stealing by the manager. And the manager followed them, like, out the store to confront them, to, like, give the stuff back. Or to, I'm not sure if they had the stuff or if he was like, no, I'm calling the cops. Like, don't leave. Don't leave, yeah. But he, like, walked out. He, like, followed them out. And it became apparent, and he later identified Hearst was the getaway driver. She stepped out of the car and discharged the entire magazine of an automatic carbine into the overhead storefront, scaring the manager, but not injuring anybody, before the trio got in the car and took off. Hmm. They switched vehicles twice by hijacking two separate cars with the owners still inside Mm -hmm. as they were trying to make their way back to the hideout that they Mm -hmm. were supposed to meet at. And it was kind of like, oh, the cops won't catch us if we aren't in the same car which yeah one owner of one of the cars that was in the car while it was being hijacked by this and so there's group of people I'm gonna, need to, I'm gonna need to use your vehicle yes Get out of the car. but he was in the car yeah. and he said that hearst herself was so personable and so nice that he was reluctant to call the authorities on them just but she's such a nice girl <laughs> My car was stolen by the nicest lady. I how he was. I was like, what are you saying? My car was stolen by the nicest young lady the other day. I was kidnapped for a short while. Great people, though. Great people. Good conversation, great folks. I think I'll have them over to dinner next week. (laughs) So We didn't exchange numbers, but the look. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, my God. Yeah. So since he didn't report the crime at first, like, I don't know if he ever called the authorities or if he was just called in to testify, like, later or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, the trio did indeed make it back to their base at Los Angeles, only to find it was surrounded by police. Oh, beat to it. Hey, gonna have to be quick on that. <laughs> so this is a whole, like, another story. But essentially what happened was the FBI and the police figured out where this specific hideout was. And they went to basically go arrest everybody. A shootout occurred. Six SLM members, DeFreeze, Angela Atwood, Nancy Ling Perry, Willie Wolf, Patricia Solstisic, and Camilla Hall died 
in the shootout or in a resulting fire that occurred afterwards. But Hearst and the Harris couple were able to avoid the confrontation altogether, and they fled. A fire, not firing of weapons. There was firing of weapons, and And then then there there was was an actual fire. fire. Now, I don't know how the fire started. It could have been like a, we are setting this fire and just going to die inside the building kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, so so Hearst fled with the Harris couple, and warrants were immediately issued for their arrest for several felonies once it was known that they were still on the run. So, like, this all was kind of happening at once. So at first, everybody was like, oh my god, Hearst was in the building, Hearst must have died. And then they're like, no, we don't actually know where she is, Mm. kind of thing. Would you say that those people went down in flames? Okay. (laughs) I would say that that's rude, but they're not good people, so that is kind of funny. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. So the remaining SLA members robbed two more banks, one in Sacramento on February 25th, 1975, and another in Carmichael, California on April 21st, 1975. Myrna Lee Opshaw, a bank customer, was shot and killed in the latter robbery. Now, she was not killed by Hearst. She was actually killed by Emily Harris. But Hearst was linked to both of these robberies as the getaway driver. So she was there. She was involved. In August of 1975, Hearst was placed under more scrutiny after it was discovered she helped make imp- helped make improvised explosive devices that were used in two unsuccessful attempts to kill police officers. So they just didn't detonate. She helped make them, but they made them. They made them bad. <laughs> but again, like maybe she made them bad on purpose. Like how do we know? Yeah, I was thinking that too. It could be true. It could she be could true. She could be the reason those people were alive. Mm-hmm. Patricia Hurst was finally taken into custody on September 18th, 1975, after being discovered in a San Francisco apartment. While being booked into jail, Hurst listed her occupation as urban gorilla, and she told her attorney to, quote, tell everybody I'm smiling, that I feel free and strong, and I send my greetings and love to all the sisters and brothers out there. So this isn't—it's not looking too good for her. So her original attorney was named Terrence Hollinan, and basically after she said this, like at the very beginning, he basically was like, "Don't talk to anybody. (laughs) Don't say anything else. Don't talk to. Don't talk to your parents. Don't talk to psychiatrists, psychologists, police. Don't say anything." She's like, but I feel free and strong. Yeah, I feel free and strong. He's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. You're weak and feeble, and you don't want to speak to anyone without me here. So he advocated for a defense of involuntary intoxication. Hang on. Okay. So he's telling her not to talk to anybody. He's basically like, we're going to do a defense of involuntary intoxication, basically saying that the SLA had given her drugs this whole time. It affected her judgment, her recollection. So she was just high the entire time. And she couldn't help it. Not an argument. So we'll get to it in a minute. So he wanted to do involuntary intoxication. Doctors basically disagreed with this because she wasn't really on drugs drugs but after assessing her they realized that she had she had lost a lot of weight she only weighed 87 pounds when she was arrested and she showed signs of severe trauma including a 20 point drop in her iq level huge gaps in her memory and severe nightmares like night terrors psychologist margaret singer described hearst as quote a low iq low effect zombie So without a mental illness or a defect, a person is considered to be fully responsible for any criminal action not under duress. 
brainwashing didn't count as a legal defense. Because that seems like what that's what this is. Right. So it didn't count as a legal defense. Hearst's second lawyer, she switched lawyers. And so her second lawyer was um, F. Lee Bailey. He argued heavily that the signs of trauma showed that she was clearly under duress at the time of the offenses, whether you called mm-hmm. it brainwashing or not. Yeah. So... Like, they were starving her, it sounds like. Yes. Or she was starving. So how is that not duress? How is that not duress? That's basically what he's arguing. But, like, you can't... In court, you can't say, my client was brainwashed. Sure. Or you couldn't at this time. They sure. weren't letting them use that. Sure. So he basically flipped it into, like, she wasn't drugged, but, like, she clearly was under duress. What was she supposed to do? Yeah. Kind of thing. They so, weren't going to let her go. Right. So it seemed... <sighs> It seemed to maybe be true that she was basically taking apart involuntarily because a couple weeks after when she started feeling a little bit better, she heavily repudiated repudiated her SLA allegiance. Basically saying, like, I'm not a part of that. I never was. I didn't want to be. Is that refuted? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. She took it back. She took it back. Yeah. (laughs) She took it back. On January 15th, 1976, Hearst stood trial for the Hibernia Hibernia bank robbery, the first one that she took uh, a part in. The one where she said, up, up against the wall, mother... Yep. Like, explain that away. (laughs) Well... Well, Attorney General William B. Saxby stated that Hearst was a, quote, common criminal and, quote, not a reluctant participant in the bank robbery, but her defense team disagreed. They found witnesses who claimed Hearst seemed to be, like, a few steps behind the other members of the SLA, kind of like mm-hmm. she wasn't leading the charge. She was just kind of there. Like, they, it's almost like they made her go in they, first. They made her go. They, she and was said, kind- you're going to say this? Because then it looks like you're with us. Exactly. I mean, I can totally see, whether it's true or not, I can see that as a defense. Exactly. There were also pictures that were provided by an FBI agent, a part of the investigation, that showed SLA members pointing guns at her during this robbery. However, 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 Judge Oliver Jesse Carter ruled that Hearst's taped and written statements after the incident, so I think they had given... I think these were like when she was first arrested. Before she was feeling better and was like, Basically. He said that these were voluntary and did not allow, he did not allow expert testimony that would indicate otherwise. Long story short, she basically wrote all this stuff down. And then the lawyer was like, well, she wasn't brainwashed, but she was under duress. Like, what did you want her to do? And this guy was basically like, no, no, no. We don't, we were not having any psychologists, anybody like that to say, that she was quote unquote brainwashed or Stockholm syndrome. Like that's, that's not a thing. You have to come up with something else. You have to come up with a different defense. She later stated that she had been writing the SLA versions of events at the time Mm -hmm. because she was still in that mindset. So it was like really a big back and forth. Hearst was pretty much the only one allowed to testify for herself. The defense lawyer had a really hard time getting the judge to allow him to bring witnesses in or people in that you know were on her side so she said that after her initial capture she was held for weeks in a closet blindfolded and with her hands tied the only time she was allowed out was to eat but she was surrounded by members of the sla who only talked about sla stuff sure (laughs) and like the plans for the future she stated that she was threatened with death by donald defreeze himself like the leader Mm mm-hmm 
if she did not read and memorize SLA political tracts. So she's saying that she was basically held at gunpoint and made to make those statements or written statements or whatever she said. Basically memorize this until that's the only thing you can say. Exactly. And we're going to record you and whatever. She said, quote, DeFries told me that the war council had decided or was thinking about killing me or me staying with them and that I better start thinking about that as a possibility. I accommodated my thoughts to coincide with theirs. Only after she agreed to participate with them was she freed from her blindfold and ties. So she basically was like, I either die or I just go along with what they're doing and hope for the best. You know what I mean? And or then, like, it, and it's, then a survi- it's in order to survive, I had to do that. Yes, and then I think it kind of turned into a Stockholm Syndrome thing. Like, I don't think she wanted to do any of it anyway, but it could have been after a while she was like, okay, I guess I'll just do it. You know what I mean? She said she later testified that after she was freed, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. from the closet, essentially, the members of the SOA began giving her daily lessons on her duties, including weapons drills, what to do if they get into a tight situation like the one at Mel's Sporting Goods, basically cause a distraction. She didn't want to kill anybody, but it was basically like, use your gun, cause a distraction, run away kind of thing. And she also had classes in, quote unquote, sexual freedom. Some of the other women were like, oh, you'll learn about sexual freedom, blah, 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 blah. Basically, a lot of people sexual, sexually assaulted her. And they called it a lesson. Right. Right. Gross. So throughout all these teaching moments, DeFries told Hearst that one mistake would cost her her life. Hearst testified that, quote, when it all happened, I didn't even think. I just did it. And if I had not done it, and if they had been able to get away with it, they would have killed me right then. So she's basically saying, what do you want me to do? Like, yep. I would have died. Like, I, yep. I I, don't know what you wanted me to do. Uh, also, the war, camps, war council. Oh, they call themselves a war council. <laughs> yeah, and again, I cannot. I mean, maybe more people agreed with them, but I cannot um, stress this enough. It was like 15 people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And there were 14 of them on the war council. Yeah, I, it was so weird. So Dr. Harry Kozel testified for the prosecution. Now, this is... All sorts of baloney, in my opinion. But he testified for the prosecution, claiming that Hearst had been, quote, a rebel in search of a cause. Dr. Joel Fort testified for the prosecution, stating that Hearst was not in danger at all from the SLA and voluntarily had sex with DeVries and Wolf. Judge Carter, another disgusting person in all of this, allowed prosecutor, prosecuting attorney or head prosecutor, James L. Browning Jr., to present testimony from these psychiatrists, the two that I just named, about Hearst's early sexual experiences to prove their point. And these early sexual experiences happened like way before she was kidnapped. So like, <laughs> they were like, uh, she's had sex before, so she must have had sex again, basically. Well, I guess it was like the 70s and they were basically like, yeah. And it's like, you're oh, she's slut. Can- right. And you're not married and you had sex. You're a slut. Exactly. Exactly. So as the country watched the trial, many thought that there was a little bit of favoritism coming through like from judge carter there was some um professional ties that he had with the prosecuting team prosecutor team 
And Alan Dershowitz, which I think is a famous attorney, came out in favor of Bailey, her defense attorney, Hearst's defense attorney, stating mm-hmm. that the judge had appeared to indicate that Hearst would have Fifth Amendment privilege only to go back on this arrangement after the trial had already begun. So he basically was like, well, we are not going to do these questions. She doesn't have to answer these questions. The jury will leave for these questions. And then during the trial, they did it anyway. They did it anyway and Bailey tried to object and the judge was like, no, no, no. In the closing prosecution statement, there there was no acknowledgement that Hearst had been kidnapped and held captive. Prosecutor Browning suggested that Hearst had taken part in the bank robbery without coercion. Browning, who later became a judge, also suggested to the jury that as the female SLA members were feminists, they would not have allowed Hearst to be raped. So that argument's out the window. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. (laughs) So... Bailey's final statement to the court was, quote, but simple application of the rules, I think, will yield one decent result. And that is, there is not anything close to proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Patty Hearst wanted to be a bank robber. What you know and what you know in your hearts to be true is beyond dispute. There was talk about her dying and she wanted to survive. Now, Patty Hearst later came out and said that she didn't really like how Bailey handled some of her trial but some of it like he couldn't really help because they were kind of coming at him from all sides right and also when has this happened before that it was like right and it was a big spectacle like it was a huge thing you know because of how prominent she was Mm -hmm. and like you said these were basically domestic terrorists right that's not a thing that had happened before i'm sure it was widely published exactly exactly so on march 20th 1976 hearst was convicted of bank robbery using a firearm during the commission of a felony she was given the maximum sentence possible of 35 years imprisonment pending a reduction at the final sentence hearing now judge carter i don't know if he was a good guy or not but he died which is probably good for her so Judge William H. Ork Jr. gave Hearst seven years imprisonment instead of, like, the Mm -hmm. 35, commenting that, now this is also bullshit in my opinion, he commented that, quote, rebellious young people who, for whatever reason, become revolutionaries and voluntarily commit criminal acts will be punished. Now, I want everybody to know that the rest of the members of this group were, like, like, they said they were, like, you know, all ages, all races, all genders, whatever. So Donald DeFries was like the only black person in the group, I believe. And they were all like mid forties. Mid forties, white folks. <laughs> yes. So like, and and like um, middle class. They weren't even poor people for the most part. Maybe on the lower end, but mm. like we're fine. And so for him to say this, like young people for whatever reason becoming revolutionaries, it's like. Okay, first of all, she's the only young person in the group. That right there should probably be a red flag, but okay. It's not like she was joining her peers. Exactly, exactly. So people were kind of mad about him saying that, but anyway, she got seven years. So she then went on to basically, I don't know how the trial went, but she was put on trial for like the most sporting goods Mm-hmm. incident and like some of the other kidnapping and things like that. Mm-hmm. Superior Court Judge Talbot... Talb- Talbo Callister gave Hearst probation on the sporting goods store charge when she pleaded no contest, which basically means, yeah, I was, I did it. Like, what are you gonna do? But usually, you get a lesser sentence if you plead no contest. Yeah, yeah. Well, at that point, she's probably like, well, the other one went so poorly, I might as well plead no exactly. contest. Exactly. 
Well, Callister, this guy, explained his decision by saying that he believed that she had been subject to coercion amounting to torture. Yeah. And that's why she did all these things. California Attorney General Evel J. Younger agreed with the sentiment, believing that Hearst had received a stiffer sentence than a person of lesser means because she was wealthy. So he was basically saying her family is so prominent and she had so much money. People were basically like, well, why'd you get kidnapped? Why did you go along with mm-hmm. it? Like, why didn't you just leave? Blah, 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 right. blah. Although these two agreed that there was no legal brainwashing defense, again, like in court, you're not allowed to say she was brainwashed, mm-hmm. at, at least at this point in time. They pointed out that the events had started with her literally being kidnapped and people witnessing her being kidnapped. And yeah. there were people who said she got kidnapped at gunpoint. Yeah. And they were like, did y'all just forget about this? Yeah. <laughs> like, did you yeah. just forget that she was blindfolded Minor and detail. that her fiance was beat up? Like, did we just... But they, they weren't in charge of her other child, so they can't really do anything about that. While in prison, her suffered severe... Well, severe and several medical emergencies. She actually had a collapsed lung at one point. She had to come out for surgery at one point. So she was held in solitary confinement due to this, but along with, I mean, she's famous. People know who she is. Like, it's dangerous for her to be out in the general population. She was actually granted bail for an appeal hearing in November 1976 on the condition that she was protected on bond. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but I think they could... They had to pay to get her out, and then, like, she basically could be called back at any time. Sure, yeah, it's like, it's, it sounds like on bond, it's just like, if she hadn't gone to jail in the first place and she was out on bond. Yeah. She, it's like, I'm a, I, all I know about it is because of Dog the Bounty Hunter. It's like, (laughs) if you don't pay, they're going to take you back to prison. Right, right, right. Her father, you know, paid it, obviously, she comes out, and he hired dozens of bodyguards for her now that she was out, because Mm -hmm. before, they were famous, but he, she didn't have anybody, and then, Mm -hmm. it's kind of talked about a little bit, not really, this is me speculating, but I think they kind of blame themselves as to why she got kidnapped in the first sure. place because she was kind of famous. They just didn't think about it before because they'd never had any yeah. issues. Hearst bail was revoked in May of 1978 when appeals failed. So she went back to prison two years later. The Supreme Court declined to hear her case and she was actually placed in general population Ooh, no. until it became clear that this wasn't the smartest idea. Yeah, she got the shit beat out of her. Well, the Harrises, it seemed like, had friends on the inside. During some of their... She was supposed to, like, testify against them or in their trial, but when all the medical stuff happened mm-hmm. was when that was. So she, like, never really said anything. Mm-hmm. They couldn't make her go, things like that. But there's a story that, like, when they, on a day of their important trial or when they were getting sentenced or whatever, she found a dead rat, like, under her pillow. Somebody had put it there. So people were like, oh, this is probably not a good idea. So people were kind of on her side. Some people were on her side. They wanted to get her out. So Representative Leo Ryan was collecting signatures on a petition for Hearst's release. And he was basically like, this isn't fair. We need to get her out or, or at least get her seen by the Supreme Court. Sure. You know. He was working on this before he was murdered while visiting the Jonestown settlement in Guana. Do you know about Jonestown? Jonestown's where the saying comes from, like, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Ooh, okay. Kind of thing. Yeah. I actually did a project on Jonestown in high school (laughs) in forensics class. Mm -hmm. Basically, this guy made a cult in the United States and took him to Guana and they built, like, they all lived there and there was, like, hundreds and hundreds of people. And he was basically like, we all have to die. And so they all drank 
poison Kool-Aid. At the same time. At the same time. And they all died. It was kids, women, children. There were Mm -hmm. a couple people that survived from like running away. But it was a whole big thing. People who tried to run away were shot. It was like a whole deal. Yeah. This kind of got attention. And um, John Wayne spoke on the incident about Leo Ryan being killed while he... Mm -hmm. Here And he pointed out that people had accepted that Jim Jones could brainwash hundreds of people, Mm -hmm. but they could not accept that the Symbionese Liberation Army could have brainwashed a kidnapped teenage girl. Yeah. He basically was like, how does that make sense at all? What do you mean? What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, President Jimmy Carter got involved. Um, her, there was so much hubbub about it. Hearst was released from prison on probation on February 1st, 1979. President, Jim, President Jimmy Carter commuted her federal sentence to the 22 months served, freeing her eight months before she was eligible for her first parole hearing. So she wasn't free-free. She was still on probation, but he basically was like, we'll let you out of prison. Yeah. You shouldn't be in prison anymore. Sure. We'll let you out. So she had only spent 22 months actually in prison, we think. Well, this was when she had gone back in 1978. Remember, she was in there before. Right. For how long? Do you know? Mm, Less than a year, I think. Okay. March 20th was when the trial was... No, March 20th is when she got convicted. And... November 1976. So maybe a couple months. A couple months. Okay. And then she went back for 22 months. I just was like, I hope this isn't like, oh, she had two months left anyway, and then she would have been done with the second No, no, no. Yet. It was early. It was way early. Because as soon as she went back, people were like, what are you saying? She's going back. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court wouldn't hear it. Like, they were like, this is crazy. Like, her trial wasn't fair. I like, also wonder if the two years she was out on bail counted towards the seven years total. I don't know how that Maybe. Because she was on probation. Right. So right. you would think. But anyway, sorry. So maybe. Ahead. They could have rolled that all into one. Mm-hmm. So on January 20th, 2001... President Bill Clinton granted her a full pardon on his last day in office. Fun fact. Uh, Bill Clinton. Did something good. (laughs) (laughs) So so she was pardoned about the whole thing. Um, You know, hasn't gone back to jail. So a couple, this is why I wanted to talk about her. So after all of this has happened, right? Patricia Hurst married Bernard Lee Shaw in April of 1979. So right after she got out of... um, jail the second time when oh, prison so jimmy Reed. carter no they haven't been together for a while. i don't know what happened to him <laughs> he got he got beat up and then he was like i can't stay here anymore <laughs> so but bernard lee shaw they met because shaw was actually a part of the security detail that her <gasps> dad hired when she was on probation between 1976 and 1978 Please tell me they wrote a smut book about it <laughs> i don't know but i was like this is the bodyguard you know whatever romance, Socialite bodyguard like, yes. romance? i was like this is perfect this is beautiful i love it so they get married like two months after she gets out of jail the second time. This out of prison is literally the second time. like the perfect smut look, and I know I'm it's really beautiful. That it's not like a thing. Um, so they had two children, Jillian and Lydia Hurst Shaw, um, and yeah, they they lived a good life. So Patricia Hurst, if you have not heard of her, she's actually famous for not just this. Oh. <laughs> so Hurst became an active. She became active in several charities. Um, the big charity that she was that she helped with was a foundation to help children who had AIDS. So she was known for a lot of charity work, kind of like her great grandmother. That's kind of why they were like, "Oh, she's like she's taking after her great grandmother." Mm-hmm. She published her memoir, "Quote Every." Well, it was called "Every Every Secret Thing." It came out in 1981. This actually caused authorities to consider bringing new charges against her, 
And in a talk show, when people ask her about it, she was just like, I don't understand what they are reading that they think I'm such a bad person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of times when this happens, law enforcement is like, no, she got out and she shouldn't have gotten out. Or they got out Mm -hmm. without being punished. And it's like, well, if you got it wrong, you got it wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wait, so she wrote a memoir? She wrote a memoir. So there is a smut book about it. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's a couple movies about her life as well. Um, but when she was asked about... I didn't write them down. You can find them pretty easily if you just Google her name. Mm-hmm. I didn't write them down because she said in an interview, like, she doesn't really like to talk about them because she's like, I don't know. I've just moved on with my life. Sure. There's no point in, like, reliving the past kind of thing. So okay, she's like, she's not like mad about it, but she's like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen him. I don't really care. <laughs> gotcha. She's focused on the philanthropy she does now. Wow. Well, I said that right the she first time. is also, she does more than that. So Hearst produced a special for the travel channel titled secrets of San Simon with Patricia Hearst, which gave viewers an inside look of her great grandfather's mansion. It's like a huge mansion. Cause he was like a gajillionaire. And so that was a little thing How she did. How much is that? How many copies? Uh, a lot. <laughs> Several. Get you Several. <laughs> she collaborated on uh, a couple books. One in particular was called Murder at San Simon, which involved... Her grandfather didn't kill anybody, but it she involved... She went there and killed somebody, <laughs> no, and that was the, that was the documentary. It was so, somebody died, and she knew their great-grandfather knew them, so it was something about that. She actually appeared in several films. She was pretty much a famous actress, including Cry Baby, which I think is her most famous work. Serial Mom, Pecker, Cecile B. Demented, A Dirty Shame, Biodome, and Second Best. There are a couple others, but these were the biggest ones. Serial Mom with an S or a C? With an S. Mm. <laughs> Serial Mom. Love cereal. It's all about breakfast. <laughs> so if you haven't seen any of her movies, I haven't. You may have seen her on uh, the various television roles that she took on. She was uh, on a, an episode of The Adventures of Pete and Pete. She was on a couple episodes of Boston Common, Son of the Beach, Tripping the Rift. She was actually on Frasier and Veronica Mars for an episode or two, which those, I've never seen either of those, but I actually, I know what they are. <laughs> um, most importantly, the most important fact that we can take away from all of this, let me tell you right now. Um, her Shih Tzu, Rocket, won the toy group at Westminster Kettle Club Dog Show on February 16th, 2015. Her French Bulldog, Tuggy, won Best of Breed in 2017. And I'm not sure what this one means, but her French Bulldog, Ruby, won Best of Opposite Sex. I don't know what that means. I didn't look it up. What does that mean? <laughs> but I don't know. She basically says that, like, her dogs are her best friends, and she's kind of, like, getting into the dog show world. And so you may have... They may have talked about it, you know. I hope they don't bring up her past on the Westminster Dog Show. No, no, no. I they may have talked about, like, just said, like, oh, her owner is Patty Patricia Hurst. You know, Best of all, sex. It sounds like a made-up award for if the winning dog of that group is a boy, the best female also gets an award. Oh, yeah. Could be, could be, could not be. The, but not, like, the runner-up, the best of the opposite sex. That was my last night. I didn't look it up because I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> I would much rather speculate about it. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, so I want to tell the story for National... National? For Women's History Month? I don't know why I keep adding national in there. <laughs> because um, she went through all of that, and then she was like, you know what? It's fine. I'm just going to do all this other stuff. I don't know if that was a good idea. <laughs> so, anyway, that's the end of my story. Do you think this story will keep you up at night? Or do you still think you'll sleep as snug as a bug in a rug? 
I mean, I'm very interested. I feel like her life was like a whirlwind of things. I also think that um, I'm gonna call Alex's dad and just be like, because he's like a silver civil court lawyer. Uh huh. No. He's something. He's a kind of lawyer. <laughs> he does something. I don't know. He does some kind of public. He's not like a private lawyer, so he okay. defends people who sure. don't necessarily afford big time mm-hmm. lawyers. Yeah. But I want to call him and ask him if he knows about this lady and see what he thinks because I think that yeah, it's very I remember, interesting. This is in the seventies, so I think, I think now maybe you can say you can argue more like not necessarily use the word brainwash, but Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Just during that time, or maybe it was the judge, they, like, legally, you couldn't do it. Yeah. So. There was also, um. Even though it seems, I don't know, we, Jack and I talked about this with the Hammersmith ghost one, because the judge, I don't know if you've heard that story, but basically, there was a guy who dressed up as a ghost and was, like, scaring a bunch of people, and so they were like, neighborhood watch, and this guy, like, shot a man who he thought was the ghost, and killed him, and then he went to court, and the judge was basically like, you cannot argue whether you thought he was a ghost or not. You just have to say whether you shot him or not. Like, he couldn't argue, like, that there was so much hype about it that he thought this ghost was harassing people. This ghost had allegedly also, killed why people. Are you trying to shoot? Well, first of all, why are you trying to shoot a ghost? He'd allegedly killed... Listen, I don't know. Spirit bullets? I'm not sure. It was a wild story. But anyway, there's sometimes in, like... That got switched, so I don't know if this got switched, but it's this a similar aspect where they're like, no, 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 there's no excuse that you can argue, or your excuse mm-hmm. doesn't work. Did she do it? She was at the bank. She must be guilty. Yeah. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. You went into your ghost voice. Um, but also, so I don't remember what year it was, but it used to be that I think you could just take the bar and you didn't have to go to law school, so people oh, were like... I'm interesting. Pre- I'm pretty sure I could have made that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. So I think some people are just like, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> you know? Well, the 70s, too. Like, I mean, I feel like we're still having issues with like misogyny and things like that. So I almost feel like some of the judges in the 70s, like this one in particular, was like, what a stupid girl. Like, yeah. You're, girl. Why would you do that? Like, yeah. a stupid girl. There's no excuse for it. And I'm like, listen. Not saying that she, like, shouldn't have been 80 pounds. She was fucking 80 pounds. That, like, proves something. Like, that yeah. she was tortured or what didn't happen. Or had an eating disorder. Or was delirious. Yeah, yeah like, anyway. that alone to me, I'm like, that kind of proves that she was tortured a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I would but, be interested to see what the physical condition of the other members was. Like, if they were all very thin or if it was... Because that, to me, is well, evidence in her favor of, well, they're not... Yeah. starving well, yeah she well and i think they were like no we caught you on camera it doesn't matter and i'm like yeah okay, on that but camera, like, did you see she's 80 pounds <laughs> right i'm like there are people that argued against that though and you just didn't allow it it was it was a very strange there's more information i mean i got a lot of my stuff on wikipedia there's a lot more stuff on there but i just did like the highlights mm-hmm. of it it's a very like it's a well-known story so there's a lot of information surrounding it but I'm I don't really necessarily understand the trial stuff anyway, so I just kind of did like the yeah. gist of it. I'd be interested to see if like, well, it doesn't sound like the Supreme Court ever heard her case, so there's no like ruling mm-hmm. that was made that became precedent for future trials. 
But like you would think, they'd be like, hey, remember what we did to Patricia Hearst? Yeah. Remember how stupid that was? Yeah, yeah try again. <laughs> well, I think, so that's why I think maybe it got changed. I didn't really look much into it, but like after Jonestown and then after this, and they made the point that like, okay, you believe that he, one single person could convince 900 people to kill themselves, mm-hmm. but you don't think that this 19-year-old girl... brainwashed one girl. Yeah, into like robbing somebody. She didn't kill anybody, ever. Mm-hmm. She just was there. You know what I mean? She said, get against the wall, mother <laughs> Very up, up convincing. Up against the wall, mother <laughs> Up, up, up. <laughs> dun, 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 so. Higgins, dun, dun, dun. That's what it made me think of. <laughs> just you wait. Thank you. And Regan's, just you wait. <laughs> You'll be sorry, but something will be too late. <laughs> You'll be sorry, but your tears will be, be too, too late. late. I think so. Oh, please. What is that? I don't know. Is it from? Yeah. Um, my, f- no. Is Not it my, my fair lady? lady? Yes. Yeah, it is. Where she, he learns. She, yeah, she learns to speak talk well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well is a better word. <laughs> Maybe I need. That. Maybe I need. She that. learns to be good. Wait. <laughs> I said nice. Um. Wait. So wait. Would you say my fair lady, lady, not pretty woman? Pretty woman's the one. Pretty woman. She's a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say the sound of music, and I was like, that's really not right. <laughs> not quite. Also, not Mary Poppins. Which is the hills are so alive with, with the, the sound, sound of, of Henry Higgins. Music. <laughs> anyway. Anywho. No, uh, good story. Okay. I didn't know about any of this. I feel like I'm going to look her up now. I want to see where she was in Frasier because we started watching that show recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So It's um, like one of the, not the, it's not one of the first seasons. It's like season eight or something later. like that. So. Yeah, I'll have to. I've never seen Frasier. I'm not super interested, so you have to tell me about it. It is kind of like a, but not a ha 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 belly laugh. You know what I mean? Any of those sitcoms, I always am like, wow, the male leads are like annoying as shit, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and I can't but watch he, I it. Think he's supposed to be supposed well, to be Why would I watch it? <laughs> Listen, you know what I mean? Like, no offense, no offense. I, I, you know what? Offense. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, uh, okay. I, I think it'll keep me up tonight if I'm trying to find that Frasier episode. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, yeah. justice is better now. Wait, wait. Okay. I hope. Long. Mm. Your maybe. I think better. we'll be more sympath. At least a little more sympathetic to those who go through similar situations. Sure. God forbid. Um, because we're like, ooh, they got that one wrong. <laughs> I think we can all agree they got that one wrong. Yeah. I'm going to call, it might keep me up a little later too, because I'm going to call Randy today and yeah. then I'm going to have him listen to this episode and he's going to think poorly and afterwards. <laughs> no, what's going to happen, he's going to listen to this episode and be like, I'm going to do that story. She told it all wrong. <laughs> At first I was like, oh, that's crazy. They just like let her out. And then I read the story and I'm like, oh, that's crazy. They made her go to jail. <laughs> So, I don't know. We should start doing it. We Very polarizing. Follow-up episodes where we interview a person after the fact and be like, you listen to our podcast episode, tell us everything we got wrong. <laughs> honestly. Honestly. Well, we could be a lot of information. I did some other, like, digging on other sites. Mm-hmm. Um, you can check out all my my resources on bugandrung.pumbean.com. And a lot of them are like, yep, yeah, she got kidnapped. Uh, she was caught on surveillance tape. She went to trial. She got pardoned. I was like, I don't want to have to watch the documentary on her life to know all of this. So, Listen, if you're not watching multiple documentaries in order to do a story. I did that good. for Princess Diana and it turned into two episodes. So I was like, never again. Alex's family has listened to that episode with the children. And I was like, oh, I hope we didn't swear too much. Well, this one I've only said a couple times. That's two that I remember. Mother. 
Oh, just kidding. <laughs> That's a quote. Uh, I don't know if you listened to our Groundhog's Day episode, but I said shit, and Mom was like, oh, nice. What if your grandma listens to this? Are you going to have to bleep it? Or Dad said shit, and she's like, you're going to have to bleep it. I said, no, no, no. I only bleep the word f***. <laughs> grandma says shit just as much as we do. Anyway. Anywho. Now that we've thrown her under the bus. Thanks for listening. Any last comments, questions, concerns, aspirations, dreams? No, I mean, we could be here all day. <laughs> Mindy all the time is like, you doing all right? I'm like... I mean, physically, mentally. The, no, the answer is no, no matter what. Emotionally, spiritually. I'm like, what do you want from me, Mindy? Shut the up. other day, she made me mad, and then 10 minutes later, she's like, you know, you feel like you're not in a good mood this morning. I was like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> she literally, like, did. She took stuff from me that I needed for my animals that day, and then laughed when she was like, oh, yeah, you needed that. And then she was like, What's wrong? And I'm like, you, you're the problem. Uh, I'm like, it's not all, what is it? It's not a joke, joke, dildo. It's not all joke, joke, dildo. Traveling around with the boner squad. Sometimes I just want to talk about how I feel. I'm a real person. I have a beating heart. <laughs> I totally realized creation. And he says, he says all this with the mongoose mask Absolutely. on. <laughs> all right. Anywho, um, you can see pictures on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Facebook's just bug and rug. Instagram or Twitter is at B-I-A-R podcast. Um, she's famous, so if you Google it, you'll find a lot of pictures of her. Um, or watch some of her movies. Tell us how they are. I don't know. I still haven't seen Cocaine Bear. We'll get on that. Um, you can email us. BIRPodcast.gmail.com. They did really good at the box office. Of course they did. And then I, Because people heard it. And then I saw a news... <laughs> and then I saw a news article that was like, 60 kilograms... I don't know what it was. Of cocaine found in the ocean. And somebody was like, Cocaine shark! <laughs> I, listen, I spoke that into existence. I know! It was so funny. All right, anyway. That's how Sharknado 8 happens. <laughs> Signing off. I'm Caitlin. I'm Whitney. And bye. Sleep.